Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. You know, some guy running around with like stick stones and like like machine gun can actually influence massive decisions that are made in the White House or Brussels or wherever because, you know, these militias end up kind of being backed by a side here and there. You're listening to War College, a weekly podcast that brings you the stories from behind the front lines. Here are your hosts, Matthew Galt and Jason Fields. Hello, welcome to War College. I'm Matthew Galt. And I'm Jason Fields. The world is full of wars, both big and small. With so much conflict and so much journalism focused on the home front, war can slip through the cracks. Jake Hanrahan lives in those cracks and picks up those stories. He's a journalist and a filmmaker from the UK. His work has appeared on Frontline PBS and HBO. He's also just launched a podcast called Popular Front. It's a great show that focuses on the niche and geeky details of modern warfare. If you want to know how suicide car bombs are built by ISIS or learn how the learn about the Nazis fighting in Syria, the Popular Front is a show for you. If you love War College, you'll love Popular Front. Jake, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, so why did you start this show? Um, I think I kind of felt like there was a small community um, amongst people I speak to, you know, whilst researching... And just just talking nonsense on Twitter about like various war topics, uh, and I felt like this community didn't really have kind of a podcast for it because it's really very niche, you know. Like talking about this random militia here that nobody has heard of, the, the kind of things you would never be able to actually get an article published on are actually some of the most interesting things I think about modern warfare. Um, so I was like, you know what? Let me just do this podcast. You know, I had some time. Um, and I was a bit bored and I thought, yeah, I, th- I think that'd be quite fun. And it has been, you know, and it's been really fun to learn as well from, from the people I speak to. What do you see that's wrong with current conflict journalism? I mean, you just said that a lot of the stuff that you're really interested in is the stuff that you have a hard time pitching and selling to some of the publications. Like what is that, you know, what kind of stuff is that and why don't they, why aren't they interested in it? So I, I think this comes down to a problem that is kind of rampant in journalism in general, not just conflict reporting. The people that are in the places of power, like commissioners or editors, a lot of them are from a very elitist background. And when they tell you, oh, normal people don't want to know about that, you'll hear that a lot. Oh, people don't want to know about that. And I think, well, how on earth do you know? Because you, you haven't been amongst, you know, these these weirdos like me and my friends and the other reporters I talk to about this stuff. You've no idea. So I think that's a big problem. Like the the kind of, there's a bit of a false narrative when you get editors and commissioners are like, we know what we're talking about. People don't want this. And it's like, actually, you don't know what you're talking about. 
often and you know and you often don't know what people want that's why journalism is in a you know dire state i think at the time at, at the moment um, not to say that all commissioners are terrible like there are some amazing ones out there but i think because journalism is uh, and especially like conflict journalism is so precarious right now nobody wants to take risks um and that's understandable but again i, I just want to go back to that thing i said about like the elitism the elitism is is a big problem so with popular front what i wanted to do was kind of just make it a bit more fun. You know, I don't want it to be too formal. It can go on for as long as it goes on for. And the idea is it's not for everybody. You know, it's not for everybody. It's not meant to be easily accessible. Everything is so easily accessible now. Like, and, you know, in my opinion, that's what brought us the hell of like, you know, modern journalism where you get slideshow videos and garish text and you get one minute of information. People actually don't want that. They want really detailed stuff. And this idea that, oh, well, people have got a short attention span. They'll only watch five minutes. Netflix smashed that myth out of the park. You know, people will sit for hours and hours and hours. I do. You know, they'll watch series and they'll just watch it for hours on end if they have time. People are not stupid. You know, I think there's this thing where, you know, it's almost like people assume that the normal consumer is an idiot. They're not. And if you give them something that's interesting and they can relate to, they'll listen to it or they'll, you know, they'll, they'll indulge in it for as long as, as they want to. Can I ask you, since uh, uh, Matt included it at in the introduction, and you're talking about stories that don't get reported. Really, Nazis fighting in Syria? Is is that a real thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is a real thing. I mean, what you're referring to is the first episode of Popular Front where I did uh, interviewed um, a guy that knows all about the SSNP, so the, what is it, the uh, Syrian Social Nationalist Party of Syria. And they're now fighting on the side of Assad. Um, and they're kind of based in um, Lebanon. And they have this big idea where they want to fight for this greater Syria um, but actually if you look at them their logo is a massive swastika you know there's 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 no way around it they're like oh it's not a swastika it's a storm it's a, it's a swastika and they say that every enemy of theirs whether they're you know whatever religion they are there's the eternal Jew so anybody who's against them is an eternal Jew and yeah and their leader um, was very very into Hitlerism so basically there's this you know there's this uh, this kind of Nazi Nazi group running around in Syria, yeah, fighting for Assad. It's it's really weird, but when when you listen to the episode, you you start to realize like it's not that unusual considering the Assad regime being like harboring Nazis uh, for years. You know, one of the last SS guys like died in one of their prisons after he kind of I think he like pissed off Hafez or one of the one of them. So so yeah, it was it was quite interesting. It's quite a like kind of hidden bit of history in a way I think, which they're not a huge militia, you know, and they probably haven't read Mein Kampf, <laughs> but you know. But definitely the, the ideology is kind of the most militant anti-Semitism you could possibly come up with, in, even in Syria. You're an independent journalist now. Back then you had you had an agency backing you up. You know, what will... Maybe the last year or so, I would, or I've kind of come to this realization that maybe independent journalism is the only way forward for me personally. Not to say that like, you know, if New York Times like, hey, do you want a job? I'd be like, no, sorry. You know, like obviously, but I think... There is a big problem um, with having to meet these kind of goals and clicks and all that nonsense has really infested itself, even within conflict journalism. For me, I don't know. I, I, I just got, I got kind of sick of it. You know, I got kind of sick of this, this weird jumping through hoops and no, that's not important. This isn't important. Your experience doesn't mean anything here. And I just thought, you know what, this, this has turned into a big corporate machine. You know, I'm sounding like some kind of like edgy teenager, but it, 
it really is kind of that, you know, and it, it is quite distressing. Not to say there isn't, you know, I think there's some amazing journalism going on within these, uh, a lot of these publications. I just think it could be a lot better. And I think, well, not a lot better. I think there could be a lot m more really good journalism going on. I think this problem where like, you know, Trump tweets, everybody starts, you know, crying their eyes out. Oh my God, look at this. Look what he said. That to me, I just think this is just so ridiculous. Like the guy's an idiot, sure, whatever. But like, come on, like we really, that shouldn't be rising to the surface in my opinion. That should be the lower the lower kind of stuff you read to just be like, oh, this is funny, whatever. Instead, it seems to be, you know, like this salute thing with North Korea, like it was it was insane. But we already know the guy is absolutely off his nut. Like the, the guy is not a normal guy. And then the fact that everybody's, it, to me, I watched it and he's probably, he's like gone to shake the hand. He's not really judged it very well. And he's gone, oh, whoops. And just like saluted. Insane to do that to North Korea. But like, come on, like move along, like next, hurry up, you know. And that, that I think that kind of stuff, the fact that that gets so much attention now, is incredibly depressing when, you know, there are kids dying all across the world. There are wars going on that nobody talks about. Um, so for me, I thought maybe independence is the only way forward. And I think perhaps like two years ago, the only in people that were like really going, yeah, I'm independent, were like kind of lunatics. You know, like uh, you get some random weird English guy running around the Donbass in Ukraine trying to get money for some absolute rubbish that he'd said about, you know, Ukraine or the Russians. But now I think more and more people, you know, certainly amongst, you know, very respected journalists that I'm friends with or, or talk with are agreeing, like, there's got to be another way, you know, and, and maybe it's this. Where would you go if you could cover one conflict right now? What's the one thing that you don't think nobody's talking about that they should be? Well, it's funny you say this because I'm actually in talks at the moment um, with a really good publisher, if it works out, about writing a book, which will basically, uh, basically the premise is, the wars you don't see in the news. So I've, you know, I picked like 10 conflicts I would go to and there are so many, I, I couldn't pick one, but I think right now the Anglophone fighting, so there's like, you know, English speaking separatists waging a war in uh, Cameroon and that's got so serious now that the government today just announced that he might have to, or he wants to postpone elections for a year. Um, Kashmir, you know, I think I read the other day that they haven't had so many young men joining uh, militant groups in Kashmir for 10 years like it's you know it's, it's really on the rise I think Rojava like northern Syria I think it's really important to still be reporting there the fact that a NATO backed fighting force that US have said is such a great fighting force is now getting attacked by a NATO army with Turkey and Afrin um, and then you've got like this fact they're still fighting in Deir Ezzor, fighting ISIS and everybody's like yeah ISIS is over definitely not Libya, like, you know, there's like anarchy in the Maghreb, you know, it's insane. People seem to have just forgot that that's all still going on. Um, so yeah, there's just so many ongoing like things that I think for me, it's like, okay, I get it. A commissioner's like, that's not news right now, which is fine. You know, I, I understand that. However, I do think the way that these things could overspill is really serious. You know, like, for example, if you look at Nagorno-Karabakh, that weird little separatist conflict that's been frozen for however long, uh, between Armenia and Azerbaijan like as soon as that kicks off like 2016 it kicked off for four days immediately Turkey backed up Azerbaijan Russia was really worried because they're selling weapons to Azerbaijan they got a base in Armenia kind of Iran kind of quietly nodded to Armenia that they'll be on their side or whatever you know like it does bring in everybody else and I think that's a really interesting concept uh, especially with you know the way we are so connected now around the world with technology and whatever wars are exactly the same you know you know, some might argue that that's exactly how World War One started, right? Yeah, I mean, well, well, <laughs> I mean, if you look at Rojava, for example, you could say, well, you've got Russia fighting around there. You know, there, there was that report where Russian-backed mercenaries, uh, Wagner, the Wagner mercenary group, actually attacked U.S. special forces. 
you know, Russia are fighting on behalf of Assad or like backing him up, essentially. You've got Turkey have, you know, basically invaded Syria in the north and Afrin have attacked what the coalition says is their best fighting force on the ground in terms of fighting ISIS. So what, you know, and you've got France as well, like bombing, you've got all the countries in one spot. And it's like, if they all fall out, you know, it's, it's going to be a problem. And I think they're actually, I, I, you know, it's not going to be World War Three, but I do think that it creates massive tension and rifts with, you know, diplomacy everywhere. And what I find quite interesting is that, you know, some guy running around with like stick stones and like light machine gun can actually influence massive decisions that are made in the White House or Brussels or wherever, because, you know, these militias end up kind of being backed by a side here and there. Do you pay attention to any of the conflicts in Africa? I'm not talking about the Maghreb, but like, you know, yeah. Central Africa, Southern Africa. Yeah. So for my book, I, if, if I get if I ever get the chance to make it, I mean, I'm my luck, I won't. But if I ever get the chance to do it, I wanted to go to uh, the Congo because like it's, you know, it's just crazy out there right now. I think I read there was two million children are at risk of starving because there's there's not just one conflict there now. There's like, I think there was four or five pockets of conflict that are just displacing everybody. They've got an Ebola outbreak now and they're having to stop people escaping the hospital. To, it's just crazy, you know, and it's it's one of, I think, you know, it's very cliche, but people say it should be one of the richest countries on, on earth because of their resources. Yet it's kind of like this apocalyptic kind of country instead, just because of various things, but, you know, meddling, this, that, and the other, all of its resources getting taken. Um, and now just seems to be like this silent and forgotten forever war just going on in the middle of Africa, you know. Um, and also I'd like to do the Niger Delta Avengers, which I think are fascinating. They're like this... This kind of rogue group in the Niger Delta who blow up uh, oil company pumping operations because they're saying you guys need to give us sixty percent of the money because this is our this is our land, which you know is kind of fair. <laughs> you know you don't just turn up and start stealing the resources um, without paying for it. So they've said, look, you give it to us, and I, and it, they actually they were so effective because they're all former engineers and stuff like that. They were so effective that I think in 2016, they affected 40% of Nigeria's um, oil wealth, like the, you know, the amount they would have made from doing it. So I think, again, a tiny little group can affect things in a massive way. And in terms of Africa, the saddest thing about Africa is like, I just feel like no one cares. Like people do care, obviously, but like trying to get a story pitched about Africa is, is a nightmare, man. This, I think it's the only like place where there's a lot of conflict that I've just never been to, just because I've never managed to convince anyone to send me you know my own experience as uh, an editor at reuters uh yeah. which i did for a couple of years uh just looking at it from a numbers standpoint virtually anything that you cover in africa it's really hard to find the audience I, that's not defending the decision that's being no made no to avoid no coverage but it is really interesting i mean it's strange isn't it it is. It really is. It's like uh, when you you know do a story about Africa, it's almost like throwing it into a black hole once you send it out. But of yeah, course, I'm looking at it from Jerusalem, and you know everybody's on it. It's weird. Sorry. Go yeah, on. it really is. No, no, no. I just, yeah, I just, no, no. I, I was just thinking like it is. I, I, I don't know. You know, I, so, someone far smarter than I could probably you know work out why it is. But I, I've never been been able to work out why that is. But my, I have a theory that part of it is like. The way it's told, perhaps, you know, I think there's a big problem with, like, for example, like the other day I was watching, um, you know, and I, I love what the BBC News, I think they do some really good stuff, but I watched something, I forget what it was, and I thought, this is really interesting, yet somehow 
it's boring to watch. And I, I was like, that's a real task. Like you've really managed to make a really interesting topic incredibly boring. And I think that's a problem. Like a lot of people have not like, it's just ridiculous. You know what I mean? I, I, I And they say, oh yeah, well, like Vice News, how you guys used to do it. Like it's so self-indulgent. Like, you know, th- there is some some weight to that argument, but also you have to recognize like, you know, young people have grown up in a different kind of era and if you want to catch their eye and get them interested, you might have to change things slightly, you know. And just because some kind of, you know, absolute mug sipping champagne in some kind of foreign correspondence club doesn't like it, so what? Like, that's a really important thing to do is just keep moving on. And I think sometimes journalists can be their their, their biggest enemy. You know, I'm certainly my, certainly my own worst enemy by saying this all the time. You know, people get pissed off at me. But I think they can be their own worst enemy by putting up all these kind of boundaries, like, no, we don't do this, we don't do that. And obviously, you always adhere to very strict, you know, journalistic ethics. But when it comes to certain style and stuff like that, you need to you need to get with the program sometimes and stop being so stuffy, you know, because otherwise, people are not going to like it. Like, with my, with my podcast, Popular Front, you know, the, I've, I've top and tailed it each week with different music, and most of it's like vaporwave kind of music. Now, that, that might seem really weird to, I don't know, some, some guy might think that's really odd to, to have a conflict you know podcast but actually that ties very well into the kind of culture of um you know young people tracking these conflicts of every involved in all of that stuff and i i just thought it was cool like that was it i was like i thought it was cool and a lot of other people was like yeah it works so i don't know i mean i'm not i'm not saying i'm the guy like i'm the guy that's worked it all out i just i just wish there was a bit more room within what we're all doing here to have to have a bit more experimentation and maybe take a few more risks you know You know, stories, I think, need context and characters. Mm, And when we write about Africa, we often leave both of those things behind. So I think like the one the one conflict story about Africa that's that's actually hit in the West in the past 10 years was Joseph Coney. Right. Yes. And that was because he was a character. And the the con like the context around what he was doing was so horrifying and clear Mm. that people paid attention to that at least for a few months that's really true yeah that's really true actually yeah i didn't think about that they i think it kind of gave like white neoliberals a kind of dr evil in africa to hate and feel better for clicking something about i think honestly that's why i think that got so much you know traction people think oh yeah i hate this guy too so you know therefore i've done something i'm not really but i think you're right and i think i think maybe the problem with africa is that people just People, people see Africa as a country. Do you know what I mean? Still, it's like what Congo, CIA, like it's like, mate, it's not, it's a continent. Like, and there's so many different aspects. And I think, you know, and that's, that's not the consumer's fault all the time. People have got jobs. They're working hard. They haven't got time to sit down and read the things we read all the time. I think it's up to us to say, no, we'll make it in a way so you can understand it and enjoy it. You know, there's there's too much of this in journalism. Where it's like, oh, people are stupid. Oh, they don't want to listen to it. Or they, they don't want to know. People don't want to know. People do want to know, but they don't have the time. You know, they don't have the time and energy that we have for this. So therefore, we should make it, not dumb it down at all. I think the opposite. I think make it really detailed so they get really interested in it, you know. But daily news and like, you know, sorry, like kind of breaking news and that, it, it's just impossible to do. You know, like Vice News have tried to do it. Um, with the HBO show, you know, and think what you, what you want of that. I mean, you know, there's some great pieces still coming out, but I think it's just a very hard thing to do, you know. One thing that's occurred to me about Africa, and I know we don't usually talk that much ourselves, Matt and me, during the show. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Just one of the reasons why this one's different. Oh, no, please is like do. Kind of what we do for a living, uh, as opposed to just asking yeah. people what they, about what they do. No, no, sure. No, I definitely want to hear your no, guys' insight just, on it. One thought I have is that like parts of the Middle East, we have no idea that there's normal life going on in Africa. So whenever you see something that you think is just completely business as normal, it's very hard to make it mm. interesting. So if you think that that's yeah. all that happens in Africa, then, you know, if uh, 500 people have their eyes gouged out, then you're saying, yeah, it's Africa. That's what happens in Africa. It, yeah, it's the same yeah. thing in India when you have a train crash and 500 people die, uh, you know, because of a train accident. You're like, yeah, wasn't thinking about taking the train in India. It, do you know what I mean? And it's really yeah, hard we, to we, fight that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we don't report really on a lot is, of but... like, you know, Chinese infrastructure projects that are happening in Africa, right? Hmm. Like positive stuff so, or just normal stuff. Some... Yeah, exactly. But there's some truth to it as well, though, like. Like, I get what you're saying, but like, I don't know. I, I sometimes I've heard this before. Like, oh, we should do this positive thing. We should do this positive thing. It's like, well, am I going to go to the war zone where young people or whoever, young, old, whatever, where people are dying and being killed in atrocious ways and then go, oh, let me film that guy over there who's selling some trinkets for an hour and make a story about him. Like, you know, no, I'm not. No. Uh, and it's like, you're going to report on that. So there's the dilemma. Like, you're right. Definitely. You're definitely right. But I think sometimes this level of violence has become normal out there because it is just, you know, so much chaos going on due to, again, like mostly outside influences, I think. But um, yeah, I don't know, man. How do you even combat that? That's a really, that's a really interesting thing that people are just like, oh yeah, yes, that happens there. It's, it's sad, really sad. You think we all fall, especially with Africa, we all fall subject to kind of odierism. You know, yes. We, we, yes. we just look at it and we shrug and we say, oh dear. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. That's a good way to put <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. That is a really good I'm going to use that. Yeah, I'm stealing oh, that. I, one, definitely. I, st I stole it from Adam Curtis. Uh, oh, really? Which one? Uh, I think it's just, it's a little short film that he's got just called uh, Odierism. That I is love a, Adam Curtis. Oh, he's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He's great, man. He's done some good stuff. Like, I watched uh, The Century of the Self the other day again, like, for first time in a while, like that four hour one. And uh, it's just scary when you see the kind of things he was basically predicting is happening now you know it's, it's, it's mad yeah he's wonderful uh mm, mm. but i could talk about adam curtis all day but let, yeah, me, yeah. <laughs> let me ask you again about uh popular front um so my i was listening to this episode right before we jumped on this is my favorite one that you've done so far is about the american militias yes yeah, uh, yeah and one of the things i thought was really interesting in there was discussing the way that movement is kind of fracturing 
Mm, Can you talk mm. about that a little bit? Yeah, so I spoke to um, a guy called Hampton Stall, and he runs um, a little site, like a little medium site called Militia Watch, and he just kind of keeps tabs and tracks these movements. You know, doesn't get paid for it or anything like that. And he's exactly the sort of person that I want on the show because often you'll see CNN, we've got some expert. You know, I, I saw something about an expert on uh, Christian militias in, uh, in the Middle East, and there's a guy I, you know I know called Hans on Twitter who knows everything about them, and it's like this guy on CNN. It shouldn't be there. It should be this weird guy that I know on Twitter should be there. So that's why I wanted to give these people this kind of platform, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, so so Hampton was talking about um, kind of this weird fracturing of the militias. And I, I think the funniest thing about it was that like they all used to be real libertarian, you know, when Obama was in was in power. And, oh, you know, Obama's trying to bring on this police state. And as soon as Trump got in office, they're like, yeah, we love him, you know. And it's like all that libertarianism has fallen away. And I think it's quite obvious what that so-called libertarianism actually was. Now, some of them are still kind of, you know, anti-state and, and all this sort of stuff. But, but because they now have a guy that essentially they quite like in the White House and are turning up and protecting, you know, there, there was one instance where I think they were kind of shielding ICE officers from some kind of like protest. I mean, the ICE officers haven't asked them to go, but they just go anyway. And that's really, really a reversal of roles, you know, considering they were meant to be libertarian militias, most of them. So now they're fracturing and you've got all these weird internal fights and you've got like there's a big group called the Oath Keepers. But then each state has its own version, you know, so you could be, I don't know, whatever, like the Flectar militia in Georgia and be still an Oath Keeper, you know, like under the umbrella of the Oath Keepers. So that has obviously led to like loads of people just fighting and like boomer generation just having it out over Facebook about whose AR-15 is this, that and the other. Like it's kind of tragic in a way and quite funny, but like, I don't know, you know, they, they, there, are, there are loads of these guys out there, these militias with weapons armed really well, very well trained, a lot of them. And, and a lot of it, I think, I kind of feel not sad for them in a way, like, cause, you know, there's, there's nothing to, I'm not like laughing at them, but. No, a lot of a lot of these guys have just got nothing to really do, I think. And they're like, we want to have, you know, we want some kind of fraternity together. So I think that's why a lot of them join it. And unfortunately, it gets over-politicized. And unfortunately, a lot of that turns up in this weird kind of right-left madness that's going on in America right now. Um, but that, I think, could really blow up because, for example, Hampton spoke quite a lot about Charlottesville um, and... You know, you had right, <clears throat> you had you had right wing militias there who looked like the police. You know, it looked like they had so much kit on you couldn't tell who was police, who was militia. And there is also in existence they don't do much, but there are now left wing militias. Some of them are communists, some of them are anarchists, some of them are even like some of them are like Maoists. Like it's, it's weird. But you have them, and, and me and Hampton were saying like, if these two groups turn up and one shot goes off against the other side, you don't even know what could happen. That I mean. I don't know, you know, as a Brit looking in, looking from the outside in, I just think that's insane that that could happen. But uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of like gun lovers, you know, in the US would, you know, call me some kind of snowflake or whatever it is they say. But, you know, and not that I'm even like, I'm not saying, oh, I'm anti-gun. No one should have the guns. I, I'm not I like, I'm not one of them guys at all. But it just seems insane that all of these groups are running around America and you know forming these militias and actually doing stuff for example they have like border patrols in mexico some of them i think mother jones did a piece where it showed that the police were colluding with them and that um bobby that's not right you know that just doesn't seem right well i just want to say that as an american i'm offended 
in every way. And more importantly, what about all your football fans, man? Isn't that exactly uh, the I, same I thing? I, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, windmilling, you know, like man, some man, fat guy man drop, United drop versus his Manchester pie, City. I mean... <laughs> Man, Margaret Thatcher destroyed football hooliganism, unfortunately. I, I think football hooliganism, like, I don't even like football, I don't care about it, but I think it wasn't actually a bad thing, again, in the, in the aspect of loads of young men want to get, they want to get together and they want to fight each other in private. Like, let them do it. Let them do it. Because, you know, young men have to have an outlet. No matter how much this kind of political want to make us all the same, we're not all the same, you know. And, and, and young, angry young men that especially feel disenfranchised do mad things. Um, but yeah, I, I dare say like any of our football hooligans, if they came up against your, um, militias, I reckon our guys would, would, would do you all. I reckon. Yeah. To be fair. <laughs> 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 Keith, can you tell us what else, what else do you have coming up on popular front? What else is, what are, what are um, some of the other shows? So I want to do, I want to do, um, an episode about the IRA in, um, you know, the Irish Republican army. In, in Northern Ireland, because people think that it's all gone, it's all gone away, you, you know, in, in, in the, I think it was Jerry Adams who said, it, you know, they haven't gone away, you know, they really haven't, you know, like, obviously, there isn't the popular support that there was, and people want to move on. However, Brexit has really kind of pulled up a lot of that, you know, they, they brought up some rifts, because if a hard border does go in, you know, and if it has one pole on it, you know, one toll, sorry, on it, and it gets attacked, they're going to have to put a policeman there to guard it. And then if the policeman gets attacked, you're going to have to have the army there. And before you know it, you've got another war going on. You know what I mean? And there is a new group um, now called the new IRA. Now, a lot of people are laughing at them because there are so many different iterations of the IRA. You've got provisional IRA, which, you know, the original guys, well, not the original, but the guys that were fighting throughout the troubles. Um, and then you had the splinter groups, the real IRA, and then you had the continuity IRA and then it became a joke actually in Northern Ireland where they were like, uh, I can't believe it's not the IRA, you know, like for anything that happened. Um, but now this new IRA, they are actually, I think uh, the, the PSNI, the police force of Northern Ireland have said like, this is a big threat. I think they said the, the threat was severe and they expect, you know, attacks. They've killed a police officer already. Bombs go off quite regularly uh, still in Northern Ireland or at least someone gets caught with one. Punishment shootings are up 60%. And that is basically where, you know, generally former militants or like current IRA men turn up and say, look, there's a drug dealer here. They drop a letter, literally sometimes drop a letter to his house and say, turn up at this time in the park. We're going to shoot you in the legs. Um, and then you can, you know, stop it, basically. It's kind of a madness. And I feel like that's really not documented enough. Um, so I'm going to get a guy to talk all about, yeah, all about that. I want to do an episode um, about Mexico because I've heard that the I don't know anything about Mexico and I've heard the gangs there are like have been waging war again. You know, the, the cartels rather have been kind of waging war again and have moved on to almost like moving around like militias. And I, I saw some footage where I thought it was like a division of the Mexican army and it turns out it was some cartel. And I was like, wow, this is this is insane. I want to do Ukraine. You know, that's that's another uh, thing I think everybody's forgot about. I think the Ukraine thing, the episode I'll do is um, arms dealing in Ukraine, which is actually, you know, all the time they're finding incredible amounts, you know, massive, massive cases of weapons just, just being dealt. So, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. I think it's going to be, um, hopefully, you know, it will carry on with the pace it's going because people seem to really like it. I think it's, it just is what it is. It's just like a fun little podcast. Like if If you're a little kind of, geek and into war like i am and like i'm sure you guys are you know and, and all that stuff 
I think you'll like it because it's it's just yeah it's it's just information that you won't get I think anywhere else. And to be honest, it's kind of I'll be honest. The way Popular Front is in a way inspired by War College and Bellingcat. So you know Bellingcat, the open source researchers, because they do so much in detail stuff. And it's kind of like I think them two things have really inspired me quite a lot to do it. Um, and Twitter as well, <laughs> like people on Twitter have kind of just posting up cool stuff. Where can people find the show? So um, if you go to, uh, so my website, it'll be uh, jakehanrahan.com slash popular front. That's kind of just like a landing page for it. You'll find the episodes. Um, but if you search on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, it's everywhere now. So you just search popular front and it'll be there and subscribe. If you like it, have a look at the Patreon. We've got patreon.com slash popular front. My main motivation with that is to just kind of be able to pay a sound guy because I'm like using GarageBand to do it and it doesn't sound very good. So like if I can get that going, that would be cool. But yeah, it's 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 uh it's going okay. So it's, it's that's where you can find it. It's a very good show, and if listeners, if you like, oh, if you like our show, you should definitely be listening to Popular Front. And Jake, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about it. Thanks for listening to this week's show. If you enjoyed it, tell your friends, all of your friends. One of the best ways to do that is to post a review on iTunes or wherever you get this podcast. PB Morningstar did, and here's what they had to say. Be the smartest person in the room. Listen to this podcast. Five stars. Truly informative. Thank you, PB Morningstar. We're thinking about making transcripts of the show available, but we want to know what you think. Tell us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash warcollegepodcast. War College is me, Jason Fields, and Matthew Galt. We'll be back next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.